You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Every now and then, you come across a book that is so timely, it stops you in your tracks. Steve Pemberton's second book, The Lighthouse Effect, How Ordinary People Can Have an Extraordinary Impact in the World, is one such book. It offers readers real hope and a path forward through our divided times. And Steve Pemberton's story is unforgettable. His award-winning memoir, A Chance in the World, describes his escape from brutal foster homes and his decades-long quest to discover the identities of his birth parents. Along the way, Steve learned in his journey that family is not just what you are born into, it is also who you find along the way. And some of those people, well, they're called lighthouses. So let's welcome one of the most influential voices of our time, Steve Pemberton. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. And wow, what a book you have written. And so let me ask you this, Steve. How did your own personal story lead into writing A Chance in the World and The Lighthouse Effect? What a great question. And the, the personal story you know, happened in two different ways. One, the way that I lived it, trying to understand the origins of my own story. Who and where did I come from? Where were my mother and father? Where was my family? Growing up in a very turbulent situation in foster care with no one to really tell me um, where my family was and more importantly, when they were coming to save me from these very difficult places. So I think I was always highly attuned to stories, uh, and I loved stories, um, largely because my own story was such a mystery. When you fast forward many, many years later, uh, my um, oldest son, six years old, begins asking me about my story. And I decided that uh, I had to get it down for him, and it wound up becoming a book. Uh, and I thought, you know, I thought when the book arrived, that was the end of the exercise. And boy, did, did God have other plans in mind. It was actually just the start. Because what I came to understand is that when we share our story, it's really an invitation for other people to tell you theirs. And you can find those common connections, that common humanity when you do. And that's what the Lighthouse Effect really was. It was about these 10 people that I've met during my own story, uh, whose stories I came to understand. And I find them instructive for all of us. Well, you know, you, you know, you talk about being in foster care. So let me just step back just a moment here that being in foster care, were you always thinking that your parents were going to come and get you? I, I did. I, you know, as any child does, you have the imagination of, of a child. And I was also a voracious reader. And when you, you read as much as I, I did, you, you saw, you know, intact families. You saw everything that I did not have. Uh, and so I had created in my own mind, like, you know, this was like uh, the Brady Bunch, you know, and that's the family I came from. And maybe they lost me and they were going to come get me. So, I mean, it didn't matter what sitcom I saw that was family oriented, uh, the Brady Bunch, the Jeffersons, Good Times, uh, anything that was family I developed this idea that my family was like that, for, like those families that I saw. And, and then I thought, well, 
you know, they're going to come find me one day. Well, as the years go by, I realize, you know, they're not coming. And, and so I began putting myself, I was a Brady kid, you know? Um, and so it wouldn't matter. And I think my idea of family came from what I saw. Uh, and as, um, as fate would have it, it's very much what I enjoy today with my own family. Well, you know, your book, when, when I looked at even the small video trailer on your website and you explained what a human lighthouse is. So mm. for all of my viewers and listeners, could you describe the attributes of a human lighthouse and how do we recognize them? Well, you begin with the structure itself. You know, the lighthouse is probably the most selfless structure that humankind has ever created because it serves no purpose other than to be of service to something else. And usually in times of difficulty, whether that be uncertainty or a storm, but there the lighthouse is guiding, seeking no reward, requiring no recognition. It doesn't judge you for being in the storm. It doesn't blame you for being uncertain. It's not concerned about your politics or your race or your gender because what the lighthouse sees is your humanity. I think all of us at this stage in our life, we had lighthouses in our life. Uh, think about that elementary school teacher, uh, uh, the Bible study, uh, the Sunday school teacher, uh, the kind neighbor, the high school coach, the first boss. You know, the lighthouses in the world today are not necessarily the people on the pedestals. They're actually the everyday people. We look down the journey that has been our own life. We can all remember those who are lighthouses to us. And what that means is that we now have both the opportunity, if not the responsibility, to be to others what someone was to us. And as we get older, those human lighthouses grow in significance to us because we realize were it not for them, the whole blessing that our life is would have turned out very, very differently if it weren't for those human lighthouses. You know, when I, when I was thinking about the lighthouse, the way you had described it, and, you know, most of the time, you know, if we were a ship in the night, and a lot of us, we seem like we're just out on the water, in the dark, we can't see the shoreline, but during the day, you can see the shore, you can see a lighthouse, but you're not really focusing on that. But it's in that darkness, that's when the lighthouse shines. And it seems like that when people are human lighthouses, that in our time of need, in our time of darkness, in our time of uncertainty, it is those humans that are those lighthouses that shine the light upon us so that we can see and that we can actually find a way to move forward. So in a way, they're the perfect mentor that we truly need. Absolutely. And when you think about the attributes of the lighthouse, what does it do? It turns our, our doubts into a destination. It sees not the circumstances, but the possibilities. It doesn't judge us. It gives from where it can with whatever it has. Uh, there's a strength and a nobility uh, a courage to encourage. Those same attributes are also in people. My uh, high school teacher who took me in when I was 16 and I quite literally had nowhere to go, uh, really burdened by my place in the world. 
uh, and had a lot of doubts. And so what did he do? Well, John Sykes turned my doubts into destinations. Um, my uncle, who I would meet much later on in, 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 in life, uh, who had an orphan story uh, him, him, himself, and uh, what was his you know, lighthouse? Well, uh, it was strength and honor. Uh, the 10 people that I write, write about all had to deal with something very, very difficult. And yet the way they responded to it was not with anger uh, or uh, with self-destruction. Uh, all of them had a faith walk. It was different, but all of them had a faith walk. And that faith walk actually was manifested in their willingness to tell their story to me. Uh, because when I asked them, here's a fascinating thing, I, and I, I would call them and I would say, uh, hey, I, you know, I, I, I want to write about you. And they, to a person, they all had this exact same reaction. Why me? You know a lot of famous people. Why would you write about me? To which I said, that's exactly why I want to write about you. Because they're the seemingly ordinary people. Uh, and we can all be that seemingly ordinary person. And it's a daily interaction. Sometimes I think we see so much dissonance and discord in the world, and it seems too big. What can I do to affect that, um, to solve these great civil and sometimes uncivil uh, clashes? Well, you can use that server's name in a restaurant and in doing so acknowledge their humanity. Uh, you can take a moment uh, to listen uh, when, when uh, you ask somebody how their day is, and you can tell maybe it hasn't been the best day you know, providing that listening ear. Uh, those are things that we all have the power to do. You don't need to be of great fame or great wealth to be a lighthouse. Most important people in your life were very likely not possessed of those things. That's why we remember them as fondly as we do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can even think back at this very moment as you're speaking of thinking about the people in my own life who mm. became that lighthouse, you know, yes. and, and, and I truly believe it doesn't matter where we're at. Um, people can achieve the desires of their heart. They can achieve their dreams. And, you know, many people feel stuck or maybe they use their circumstances as an excuse. They grew up in the wrong neighborhood. Their parents didn't go to college. They, they lost a job. They, they find out that rejection just seems to follow them everywhere they go. And the list goes on. Can you share a story of someone who overcame their circumstances in order to thrive? Yeah, the first person who, who comes to mind is uh, my, my uncle Greg, who I did not meet until much later on in life. Uh, uh, he was somebody who was dropped off by his parents uh, at an orphanage when uh, he was three years old. Uh, he never saw his mother again. He saw his father one time after that. Um, and uh, had a very, very turbulent, very difficult time in orphanages uh, where he wasn't seen or, or valued. Uh, and I meet him many years later and find out that he and I had this common story. We were both orphans. Um, and, and yet watching him uh, respond to that uh, from a place of enormous faith, uh, but from an understanding that this was not his fault. He had not created this, but it was still his responsibility. I wow. felt exactly the same way too. There are things that are not our fault. And I would say that to you, listen, you, you've done nothing wrong. 
the, the, this inheritance uh, that has you've been bequeathed is, is, is not your fault. And though it might not be fair, it is still your responsibility. What, what Greg Pemberton did, I thought that was so instructive for all of us. His lighthouse effect was he, he pivoted. And, you know, the, the very nature of struggle and adversity gave him a skill set. Uh, and so he thinks faster than most people. He's solution oriented. It came from the struggle. So he had no interest. And even if you talk to him today, he spends no time uh, feeling sorry for himself. He rather asks, what is it that I can do to change this? And in part because he realized that this was never going to change uh, until he drew the line. And that, and that to me is uh, when the angels show up. When you draw the line, and say there will be no more. There'll be no more. No more family separations, no more addiction, no more violence. Uh, that's, that's, I think, when really, though, the Good Samaritans show up to say, okay, let me help you along the way. But you are the one who has to decide that there will be no more. Greg Pemberton did. Yeah, and I believe that. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand that there are areas in our life that we need to take responsibility for. And, and, you know, I understand that as, as children, if they're in foster care, they've been orphaned, you know, and I, and you can attest to this, you know, I'm sure you go through the time of what happened? What did I cause this? Is this my fault? And eventually when you get past that and then get away from any type of guilt or shame and start mm -hmm. looking at how can this test become my testimony? It happened for you. It happened for your uncle Greg. Our tests become our testimony, but it's those people in our life, as you attest to, have become our lighthouses. So how can your book, The Lighthouse Effect, help someone who maybe they just feel stuck in their current circumstances? How can it help them to get out? Well, what I ask them to do is focus on the small things at the end of each chapter. I share exactly that, that, that how-to. I just gave you an example of that with, with Greg, where he pivoted really from what was the circumstance to, to the possibility. Uh, F.L. Kirby, a Vietnam War veteran who, who came back uh, from service, and like many veterans uh, of that war, were not thanked. Uh, and so what, 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 what is it that F.L. did? Well, uh, he, of deep and, and, and abiding faith, poured himself into his family into his community. Um, and when he suffered uh, the tragic loss of his son, um, became a bereavement counselor. Uh, they turned their pain, all of them did, they turned their pain into somebody else's possibility and they realized that their testimony isn't necessarily for them, that their testimony is for someone else. And so why is that? Well, because we all, you know, walk this world and breathe this air, and to do so is to know struggle. Uh, it's sharing, actually, which they all do as well, sharing the, di the difficult times. And why would we do that? Well, <laughs> uh, because there's somebody else in the midst of that circumstance. That's why you share. What I've come to learn from hearing so many stories of people all across the world is that none of us look like our story. We all have one but none of us look like that story. And invariably, when you start peeling away the social labels that are oftentimes used to divide us, 
you you find that you actually have more in common with this person than you realize uh, these these similar journeys like earlier today I had a conversation with uh, with, with, with the man and we were, were both in the business, we we're talking about something completely different. And it just came up in conversation that both of us grew up uh, uh, or, or were our, our mothers, we both lost to addiction, uh, two different parts of the country. We would have never known that had I not ventured that forth, little vulnerable. And he's, and I, it, but what if you looked at him, you would have never imagined that he had come from that. So why do we why do we share that? Because sometimes, sometimes, the pain of our past is a present reality for someone else, and they see in our testimony the possibility of their own. Yeah, and, you know. And ultimately, we, we realize that's the power, right? That's the circumstance that we can now direct to somebody else's benefit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, what, whatever struggle, whatever circumstance, whatever test we may go through, and it becomes our testimony. And like you said, that testimony is not for us. That testimony has been built so that way we can use that to share with others, to bring hope, healing, love, comfort, and peace, maybe even joy to, to people out there. I mean, you know, even this morning I was reading in, in, the, in uh, the book of Acts, and the Apostle Paul to me is one of the best examples of going through so many ups and downs and so many struggles that his testimony and story is still being told today for yes. all of us to learn from. So, yeah. you know, oh. testimonies could end up being our legacy and, uh, but in a good way, but in a good way, because we all have that opportunity to be a lighthouse, which is why I absolutely love your book. And I, and I want to ask you this, Steve, because oftentimes, People do not speak up because they're afraid. And we see that just in droves in today's society. Too many people are afraid to speak up. But to share a story of someone who stood up for what they believed in and what kind of impact they made for the greater good. Can you share, with, share that with us? Yeah, again, the person who comes to mind immediately is Wells Crowther. Wells uh, and I share the same alma mater in Boston College. Uh, and Wells uh, was working uh, in the South Tower on the morning of 9-11. Uh, he was uh, an equities trader, uh, 24 years old. Wells was also a volunteer firefighter. Uh, and writing about that, that young man uh, and what he did that morning uh, never fails to make me pause uh, because he had actually saved himself. He was one of very few uh, who uh, actually made it below the strike line of the plane. Mm. Uh, and so he, he was on his way. I mean, all he had to do was keep walking down the stairs. But as he passes the 78th floor, he hears all this chaos uh, and he steps off of the floor uh, steps off the stairwell onto the floor and proceeds to take, we know, at minimum, at least two trips up and down that stairwell. He saves 18 people uh, and um, and loses his own uh, life uh, in, in, in the process. He was found with, uh, with a group of firefighters, or he himself was not. Uh, 
you know, standing up for what was right in, in, in that moment. Um, he, in, you know, he had done his job in a way. I mean, he could say, hey, I saved some people and now I'm done. But him standing up for what was right uh, here uh, was uh, an act really of humanity and, and saying, no, I see value here. Um, it's not sufficient for me just to be okay. So I have to make a stand here. I have to make a stand. And, and I should point out, and this, when you write about, you know, you write about an experience like that, Dr. Bond, you're literally on the floor with him that morning. You're thinking what he was thinking. You can never feel what he was feeling because we weren't there, but you can understand his thought process and you say, my God, what an incredible, incredible human being. And so how can we not speak up for others? How can we not be a source of comfort and safety and protection for others, knowing uh, that we uh, will never be asked to sacrifice in the way that he did, and certainly not be asked to sacrifice in the way, you know, that, that, that our Savior um, you know, there's this common thread. And so the sacrifices that, that uh, we are asked to make don't compare, you know, to Christ. It does not compare. Uh, so it's an easy thing, it seems to me, to do. And lastly, I would say that the reasons that we might fail to speak out is because we have a fear. But isn't that what God's grace and mercy is for? You know, Dr. Bond, I, I hear on more than one occasion God whispering to me, so, Steve, what do you think I saved you from all of that for? Mm. What do you think I saved you from all of that for? And it wasn't to be quiet. It wasn't to keep my testimony to myself. It wasn't to retreat in a world of a beautiful family and say, see, look at me, look at all that I did. That's not what God saved me from it for. And it, was, it is very clear to me that it was he who saved me. It was not me. Oh, amen to that. And, you know, to, to think about the story, you know, because, you know, we just went through what I believe was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we literally stayed home and literally just watched all the documentaries back to back because, you know, we had to be, we, well, you know, they always say, don't forget, we, we have to remember. And, and you said something that, that I did as I was sitting there watching those stories is to think, try to put yourself in their shoes. What was the fear? What were they thinking about? Yes. You know, how high was the adrenaline rushing through their, through their system? And for the gentleman that you wrote about, he didn't have to speak. It was his actions that spoke much louder to save mm -hmm. 18 people. And it goes back to my remembrance of thinking of what the Apostle Paul said, to die is to gain. Sometimes we have to put ourselves out there because there is a much better place than here on earth. But in that, in that, in that journey, sometimes we ourselves must step out, out of the boat, so to speak, and give ourselves to others. You know, we, you know, all those, those 18 people, believe it or not, they were his friends. He died for his friends. He may have not even known their names, mm -hmm. but they were friends nonetheless. And, mm -hmm. you know, for you to tell his story and to keep his story alive, is going to help so many more people who read your book, The Lighthouse Effect. So let me ask you this, because I hear so much about self-care and self-healing. What power comes from replacing our thoughts with forgiveness, assurance, and support? 
Well, it may be the single most important thing that we can practice uh, and do on on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I think we all both need forgiveness from something and and have the power to forgive. And I think when you look at it from from that lens, um, you know, it's clear. You know, it's clear to me that um, we can bestow upon others that which we need, uh, and we all need it because we all fall short. And since we all fall short, we're in need of forgiveness somewhere, somehow. Uh, and I also find it's what we're we're, we're called to do. Um, uh, you know, faith calls us in many ways um, to be understanding, uh, to find those assurances in in, in one another. Yeah, my, my favorite scripture is Psalm 2710, when your mother and father forsake you, it will be the Lord who will lift you up. I've thought about that a lot of times over the years because, you know, to be honest, my mother and father had forsaken me. But it was the Lord who had lifted me up, who in essence assured me. Well, so how did he do that? Well, he brought these lighthouses into my life. That's how he did that. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I've always thought, you know, God's whisper is the loudest voice in the universe, because that's all God needs to do is whisper. God does not yell, doesn't have to. There's <laughs> a lot well, of yelling going on in the well, world today, but that's, God doesn't yell. Well, Steve, uh, let we me all... ask you this, because you had gone through the foster care, the foster home system. Who was the first person you forgave? I, I would say the first person that I uh, forgave uh, was my father, my biological father. Uh, and by that, I, uh, I would say that I define forgiveness as understanding the pain that he had bequeathed to me was because of the pain that he was in. And in my first book, I wrote about, I only dreamed of him one time. Uh, and uh, I, in essence, asked him, you know, why didn't you ever come save me? Uh, and he said, I thought I had more time, son. I thought I had more time. And that for me was a moment of like I could move on then. I no longer needed to be angry. And I could understand that his inability to help me was because he was unable to help himself. That same thing was true for my mother. And I've never really looked back upon it since then in that same way. You know, do you have voice for what was lost? Yes, absolutely. But I think forgiving my mother and father, and as it turns out, that came to me as a gift from somebody else I wrote about in the Lighthouse Effect who I bumped into on a train. And it was very clear to me in the conversation that she, who did not meet her biological father until she was 30, had some ups and downs in her life, some of which was due to his absence but she had forgiven him. And I, at that point in my life, had not. Oh, and she was a complete stranger, Dr. Bond. She was a complete stranger. I didn't know her. I just met her. And she's telling me this story, and I realized that she was in a place that I had not. And so I, I would tell you that she was meant to be on that train in that moment and to give me that insight, that understanding of how to forgive. And when I asked her about this later, uh, you know, she, she said that it, she was thinking as much about what they could build from that moment on, and they have. And that just happened in an interaction. Well, then, then 
when did you when did you uh, when did you meet the Lord? Oh, I, I remember that so vividly. Uh, it was Sunday school. You know, the foster home that I was in worked really, really hard at keeping me away uh, from anyone who was going to uncover what was happening in that home. They were masters at guile and deceit and manipulation. And so they had everybody fooled. Dr. Bond, I still remember uh, getting on the white van that picked me up at the corner and bring, brought me to church. We were all brought up to the front of the church. All the children were. And as we're walking up to the front of the church, and then we were turn around and face congregation, but as we walk up, there's a podium right in front of us, of course, the pulpit. And behind the pulpit were the words, God is love. And under the words, God is love, was a cross. But Dr. Bond, the foster father, who was my tormentor, had built that cross. It was part of their deceit, was to show themselves or present themselves as faith-abiding people, when in fact, they were the opposite end of that. Now, as a young boy, seven, eight years old, I remember looking at that cross and saying, they fooled my social workers, they fooled my teachers, they fooled the doctors, and now I know that they have God fooled too. You imagine how devastating that could have been. How, how, how does a human being, let alone a child, recover from a moment like that where you believe that not even God sees the pain you're in? You, we, you and I could sit there for a long time trying to figure out how that would happen. Well, here is exactly how it happened. Um, joy came in the morning, or in this case, in uh, the basement of, that, of the Bethel AME Church in New Bedford, Massachusetts, when the Sunday school teachers divided us by whether or not you'd been to church before, which is how I found myself in, in a, in, as an eight-year-old uh, in a class with five-year-olds who were laughing and giggling at me. And they really laughed and giggled when the Sunday school teacher said, let's all bow our head in prayer. And I said, uh, well, how do you do that? And they laughed and giggled. And the Sunday school teacher, so, um, you know, just so, such a blessing. And she said to the entire class, she said, well, I don't, I don't think that's what he's really asking. Um, and she says to me, um, you, you simply say what's on your heart. And I said to her, knowing that I couldn't trust anybody. Uh, I said, and he'll hear you? And she said, yes, he'll hear you. And I said, will anybody else, will anybody else hear you? And she said, no. She said, God is the best secret keeper in the whole world. And from that point to this day, that is what I do. And all it, all, all it took was one time. It was just one, and that was the only time that I went to church in my entire childhood. They were not a faith-abiding family. But in their view, <laughs> they made that one mistake. They gave God one chance, and that's all God needed, right? Because now that becomes the anchor, the foundation for my life. And you know what? That Sunday school teacher is a lighthouse <laughs> yes. in that moment. And, and she gave you probably the most powerful key at that time. You were with a family that thought they had the whole world, including God, fooled, but she told you that whatever you say, 
God will hear you, but nobody else will know. So it's kind of like you had a secret place, just you and the Lord that kept you safe because you were, and I I can almost, I, I bet I can figure, almost figure this out. You were telling the Lord the truth and he heard what was coming out of your heart because at eight years old, you're not going to know everything. You know, you're still a baby in his eyes, but he is going to protect, he's going to take his wings and cover you like never before. And I, wow, that is a powerful story, Steve. He, he knew the truth before I spoke it. And, and, and those prayers changed over the years. Um, you know, God, keep me safe. Uh, God, let, let me get to college. Uh, God, I need a place to stay tonight. Uh, God, I want to be a husband and father one day. Uh, and over the, over the years, I just learned not, not necessarily to ask for things because God's not a transactional God. Uh, I just asked him for the strength to understand. Uh, and the peace always came, you know, when, 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 when I did. Uh, and in this time, when I, I think there are many who, uh, <laughs> they, they have their gods confused. Yeah. Yeah, the God's confused. Um, you know, man is not to be worshipped in, in that way. And that's what I firmly, firmly believe. And I think when we get away from him, uh, we see the kind of society unfolding that we do. Um, you know, Scripture is very clear about his the path to him uh, and his presence in, in our life. There was really no explanation for my life other than that. I was the third generation to be orphaned. My father was, my grandfather was, my mother died at 40, my grandmother died at 40. Uh, I was simply the next generation up, and, and, and yet the cycle broke. Well, that's not my doing. Um, and, I, and I think one has to be conscious of that. The victories in our life uh, are, are because of, of, of his protection. Uh, and when we decide that we want to throw off his, his blanket of protection, he'll let us do it. You know, let's see how you do without me. Let's see how you do without me. Yeah, it's a complete choice. And, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it was always my father's favorite scripture. And for the past few months, I really started diving into that because of the fact that it goes back. It starts off, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to my Um, own understanding. And when we understand that God's in control and we give him that control, that's when things really happen. And in your book, The Lighthouse Effect, I want to ask you this. You talk about the importance of having a personal mission. What steps can readers, even my viewers and listeners take to create their own personal mission statement? I think it begins with asking yourself questions um, that you can literally write down and put in front of you to see. Uh, And they can be certainly one of mine that I try to answer is on a sticky right on my computer monitor. Uh, what good have I contributed to the world today? Uh, and I see it every day. Can't, can't miss it. Um, another question, what's my best, not somebody else's best. What's, what's my best. What's, what's the best parent I can be, uh, the best citizen I can be. Uh, best teacher I, I can be. What's what's my what's my best? Another question that I've always found to be a wonderful guide and sort of a beacon question. 
what dream would I pursue if I knew I could not fail and I would not disappoint? Oh. We all have dreams. What are those dreams? What, what prevents us from pursuing them? Um, and what I've learned time and time again uh, is that uh, if something's not for me, it's because God doesn't mean it for me. And so I have utter peace with things that don't happen, believe it or not, because <laughs> my own life journey has taught me um, that wasn't meant for me at that time. Yeah. And, and I think when we look at disappointments through that lens, it's not meant for me at this time, at this time. Um, and, you know, those, I, I think, becomes, now they become habits. They become ways of living. And then you begin to see the effect and the impact of them every day. Uh, I hear from somebody in some part of the world who has read uh, my books or have seen the movie, and they write to me to say, including somebody I just responded to, um, and he said, every day this time of year, I hear from my best friend who thanks me for giving, for, for giving your book to him, what a lighthouse it was for him. And I, and I, and I, said, in, I said in response, I'm honored by that, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me. That was just giving from where I was with what I had, which is another attribute of the lighthouse. You know, the lighthouse as a structure is not meant to illuminate the area around it. In fact, if you've ever seen a lighthouse at night, you get up close to it. You see the area immediately around the lighthouse is not well lit at all. It's not meant to. It's meant to project outward. It's meant to be a beacon for someone else. And I would also say that we never know for whom we are the lighthouse. That is the nature of the lighthouse, right? That we just, we don't know who's watching us, who's, who's drawing strength, who's drawing courage, who's drawing conviction just from our very presence. You do not know. A beautiful Greek proverb says that a society grows great when the elders of that society plant trees in whose shade they know they will never sit. We don't always get to see how the story turns out, but well, isn't that the essence of faith? You put some good works in the land and have faith that it will it'll bend them the right way. Yeah, and you know, Steve, one of the things that, that has always bothered me about people, and of course I've lived it. I know what it's like to be insecure, uh, not mm. feeling good enough. Maybe, you know, people always overlooking you and, and looking at somebody that could be better. So many people today believe they have nothing to offer other people. Can you identify what gifts people already possess that they can give to others? Their life experience, the ups and downs, the uncertainties, the trials and tri tribulations, that is what you have to offer. It's not your wealth. It's not a fame. Uh, it's not advanced degrees. It's not so, so quote unquote experts. It's your lived experience is so valuable. Why is that? Because somebody else is living that experience too. And they may not see the, the, the path that you have seen. And that's the only qualification that is necessary. Uh, and, and therefore, there's almost this responsibility now that we have to share that. Uh, the word orphan, as an example, is mentioned 26 different times in Scripture. And all in a very similar way the responsibility that we have to the most vulnerable in society, the orphaned child. But scripture also describes the orphan as possessing the strength of the fatherless. I mean, think about that as a phrase, the strength of the fatherless. 
that you can be without parents and, and yet still have strength and, 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 and value. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from us who can provide that and be that, but not from this heightened place, uh, uh, from a place of celebrity or idolatry. It's from the lived experience. Think back upon the people who are lighthouses in your life and why were they? What was compelling them? John Sykes, who took me in, uh, he said when I asked him many years later, why did you, you know, why did you just put your life on hold like that? You were a bachelor living alone and you take in the 16 year old kid that society had discarded. And he gave me the most fascinating answer, which I think, again, I think is to the point of your question. He said, God, over the course of our life, asks us to say yes. And you don't exit this life without him asking you to say yes to something that you might not think you're ready for or you're prepared for. He said, when I got that call <laughs> uh, asking me to take you in, he said, I'm talking to the social worker in one ear, but in the other ear, I'm talking to God. I knew about the conversation with the social worker. I wanted to know about the conversation he was having with God. I was like, what are the two of you talking about? And Dr. Vaughn, here's what he said. He said, I was trying to convince God I wasn't good enough. He said, that's what I was trying to convince God. God, I'm not good enough. Um, not only um, uh, am I um, not, not good enough, I'm also battling an addiction of alcoholism. I'm lonely. I'm of no value. I can be of no value to that boy. Uh, and I said, well, what did God uh, say back to you? And he said, uh, God said, well, John, you know, you may not trust you, but I trust you. This boy needs you. And I need you to say yes. Oh, can't we all do that, Dr. Bond? Can't we all say yes? You know, God never calls the qualified. He qualifies the called. Mm. And so, yeah, so. For, so Steve Pemberton, what is your hope for the lighthouse effect? I hope that it will be a way for us to live and learn and lead, to bring some peace to the world, to... Uh, tamp down the, the, the anger and the division that seems to mark all of our interactions. I'm hoping that we can focus on the seemingly ordinary person, the everyday person. You know, we can acknowledge the folks who deliver our mail and check us in at the doctor's office and drive our children to school, that we can take some lessons and example from their life. And lastly, that we can see each day as an opportunity to find a lighthouse for ourselves and to be a lighthouse for another. Amen to that, Steve. And where can everyone get your book, The Lighthouse Effect, How Ordinary People Can Have an Extraordinary Impact in the World? Anywhere that books are sold, whether that's Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com. And, uh, and if all else fails, you can go to my website, stevepemberton.io. Uh, where you'll see a couple of excerpts uh, from the book uh, and a master class that me and one of uh, the, uh, the lighthouses uh, uh, co-hosted where I talk a great deal uh, about how we can be uh, a lighthouse in our everyday interactions. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, Steve Pemberton. And Steve, I want to thank you for allowing us to have some of your valuable time valuable insight into helping all of my viewers and my listeners. Dr. Bond, what a blessing it is to, to, to be with you. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time and uh, 
thank you for the investment of time you made in understanding what I was writing for capturing uh, the sentiment. That that's uh, that's a, an incredible blessing, and I'm, uh, and I am truly truly grateful. Well, you are so welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, let me encourage you right now because it is it's books like Steve's that literally pierce my heart. Every single one of you who can watch, who can listen, you have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities. You have something that can bless someone else. You're not on this earth for you. You are here for others. Be a lighthouse. So Steve Pemberton's book, The Lighthouse Effect, how ordinary people, that's all of us, can have an extraordinary impact in the world. That is also us. Not only do I want you to read this book, I want, to, I want you to dive into it. I want you to learn to become a lighthouse. Maybe it's just for your family. Maybe it's for your spouse. Maybe it's for your students. Maybe at school or Sunday school. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's online. You never know. But here's the other thing I want you to do. Once you read the book, The Lighthouse Effect, make it a reminder to yourself to read it every year so you keep recharging that light. But I can tell you one thing. Steve and I will agree on one thing. The Lighthouse Effect is a very powerful book, but so is the Word of God. And I can tell you one thing. If you've never read the Word, and as you read The Lighthouse Effect, I can almost guarantee you'll be guided in that same direction. So again, Steve Pemberton's book, The Lighthouse Effect, How Ordinary People Can Have an Extraordinary Impact in This World. All right? And so, ladies and gentlemen, you got to stick with me because we'll be right back after this. Some years ago, I wrote my coming of age journey. I called it A Chance in the World. And at the time, I thought I was just writing the story of my unlikely journey through the foster care system. But what I learned as a result of the response to the book was that I had done something else, that I had written chapters of other people's lives as well. And that's what's led me to write the follow-up, The Lighthouse Effect. The Lighthouse Effect is the simple idea that any of us, immersed in the hustle and bustle of our own lives, wrestling with our own ambitions and imperfections, can pause and change the arc of the life of another. But it's also a reflection of our own journey, that our lives are altered, transformed, and reimagined by the seemingly ordinary people will come along at just the right time to help us and guide us along the way. I have come to call those people human lighthouses because like the structures that they resemble, they're humble and steady. They seek no reward, they require no recognition, and yet we all set our life's compass by them. The Lighthouse Effect is intended to take you on that journey of discovery about your own life but also the power that your life has to impact and touch another. I hope that you will enjoy The Lighthouse Effect. All right, Steve, how, how was that for you? 
Man, I, I don't. I have never been part of, uh, and I've I've done thousands of interviews. I've never had one like this. That is so extraordinary. <laughs> so extraordinary. Uh, Your book is literally up my alley. I I don't read fiction. I read yeah. reality, and I don't really read self help, even though I have, and but it's books like yours that have that power that leads people in the right direction, but it gives them hope. You know, I, I, I cringe, I guess, I don't even know if the, the word cringe is correct. I don't, people need to realize that they are worthy, that they're not worth less and that they have something. I mean, I, I have so many friends that, you know, online, they say all these nice things. And I'm like, no, it's all God. You know, yes. I only decided to step forward. I only decided to step out in faith, but I didn't do it on my own because if I claimed it was my own, God's going to knock me off that pedestal real fast. But, you know, we're, we're here to be an example. And uh, brother, whoo, your book is the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, am, I am so honored uh, by, by that. And boy, you, you, you are so right. I, I, one of the things many, many gifts to me um, is that as you get to certain stages of success, you have to work really hard to make sure you realize who's doing it is <laughs> because yeah. the world will tell you it's your doing. <laughs> oh, 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 a a absolutely. You know, um, you know, one of my, and I'll share this with you, but you know, one of my dreams is to literally work in the realm of entertainment in Hollywood, but in a whole different way. Mm. I, you know, I always tell my, some of my guests know, I, you know, I'm like, I'm your cheerleader. I'm here to promote you. I'm here to expose you. I'm here to get your message out. But some way, somehow within the mainstream, People need to, you know, God knows, God's already warned us. There's a mighty harvest out there that needs to be reaped and it's people in yes. some way, somehow. I, I just know that the power of entertainment, the power of Hollywood can be used to reach mm. that harvest so people will know who he is and that they don't have to live with guilt. They don't have to live with shame. And, you know, being convicted of wrongdoing can just make you come into his arms and be healed and be made whole. So, uh, hope one of these days, I hope that all, that it's all going to come, but, uh, brother, your book is on the top of my list. Bro, I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate that and spending the, the, you know, the time with you. Where, where are you located? Where's your headquarters? I, I'm in the, I'm in the woodlands just on the North side of Houston. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and where are you coming in from? Uh, I'm coming in from Chicago. Ah, I've got a nephew where, that uh, lives in Chicago. <laughs> ah, yes. The weather's not nearly as nice. I can tell you, we, we start hunkering down. <laughs> oh, win oh, winter's here, right? Uh, and then I think the older you get, the more you ask yourself, so why aren't I in Houston? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just got back from Green Bay and I was there when, uh, well, it, it was, a, I, I got there on Sunday because it was the Packers and the Rams were playing. And, uh, 
and I was there for their first snow, but their first snow happens to be on the slight icy side. <laughs> so, oh. you know, but, uh, you know, I didn't mind it because it was already hot down here right now. It's, it's literally 80 degrees. It gets cold, I think Saturday, but, uh, we oh, love the cold when it when it shows up, but brother, you are a blessing. You just do not know how big a blessing you are. Dr. Bob, I'm so I'm, I'm so appreciative. I'm, I'm I'm doing what I was asked to do, and that's how I think about it. Did simply doing what I'm asked to do, as I know, as I know you are, and I and I, it's probably never needed more than now. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you, you have lens through through your calling, and you can see how much humanity is hurting. Um, and it's a story that's well beyond the headlines of the day. Humanity is really hurting. Yeah, uh, where people are not just angry, but they've also lost hope. And that's a very dangerous combination for any society uh, to be hopeless and to be angry. Uh, yeah. And they're struggling to find answers. They're really struggling to find answers. This is my, the book really was my small contribution to try and get us to see that more common humanity, to see the goodness of everyday people as beacons for us. Yeah. Um, rather than trying to aspire to some, uh, you know, fantasized ideal. You know, yeah. kind of be like the everyday, the everyday people, the seemingly ordinary, which you beautifully said is all of us. Yeah. You know, there was something there was something in the beginning of the interview when you were talking about your own personal story and you had brought up things like the Brady Bunch. And it dawned on me that during the time of all of the all of the television shows of families and everything was all nice and rosy and fun and great, it never dawned on me. But you know what? You may want to start writing a television drama based on foster care and what the children are actually thinking and going through, because I think that alone could help millions of kids find a way to uh, realize that it's not their fault. Well, the thing that I've come to learn is just how universal the story of the orphan is uh, across multiple cultures. Uh, I didn't really understand it, you know, fully, fully that way. But if you think about it, most of our childhood superheroes were orphans. Yeah. Uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Um, probably the most popular holiday movie of all time is about a temporary orphan in Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. You know, the orphan as a, you know, as an archetype is, is around us. Um, and uh, it's no accident that these people go on to become superheroes because they have certain gifts and abilities. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Disney needs to do a story uh, about, you know, foster children. Uh, it is a quite literally a humanitarian crisis, as, as, as yeah. you know, in Texas. Um, it's, it's, we're seeing more children enter the system uh, on a percentage basis, or as many, actually, as we did right after the Civil War, which is really when foster care exploded in, in America. Wow. We, we went from eight orphanages to like 800 over the course of like 10 years because of the devastating effect of that war on families, you know, North and South and all those things. Well, that same kind of thing is happening now. 25 to 30,000 children age out of the foster care system. They invariably become part of another government system. Uh, and it's not a healthy one. Incarceration, um, uh, addiction, 
you know, it's a real crisis. Why, you know, the building block of the family is so critically important because when you do not have that, an avalanche effect uh, is, is most likely uh, to, to unfold. I, I'm the exception uh, yeah. when, in fact, I really should be the rule. Yeah, you know, it's. I think more and more, uh, I think if we can just get the message out there that we can all be a mentor, that I think a mm. lot of these problems, especially with the young people today, my gosh, they need more true support. You know, they, they think their life is on their cell phone and and, yes. the, and the garbage that is being fed into their brain from that little device. Um, yeah. Needs to stop. But we all need to realize that. Smoking. We can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it I think it's the new smoking. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's having that devastating an effect and it's purposeful. I mean, yeah. You know, in, in the same way that we realized cigarette manufacturers kind of knew what they were doing. Mm hmm. Well, these people know what they're doing. You know, oh, so yeah. this is why we get the notifications and you got to have a real armor on to deal with it. And especially because it's leading to no good end. It's not like it's, you know, you see a whole, a, you see some positivity, but you're not seeing, you're not seeing it used in a, in a, in a good way. Yeah. You know? And, and it really goes back to that one question. We need to stop being afraid and we all need to take that little step to step out because God will, God will supply, God will take, God will empower. And we need to stop worrying about what we don't have, knowing that mm. he has it and he will supply it as we move forward, especially mm. when we're hel helping others. And you, you said something in the interview about the orphans. And I always know in the word, he, especially in the New Testament, where he put, we have to take care of the orphans. And we have to take care of the widows because both have experienced loss. Yes. And uh, we can yeah. fill that gap. We, we certainly can. And I am, I'm really the example of what happens when you do. Amen to that. And, and Steve, I literally could talk to you all day long. <laughs> <laughs> and the same, more. And the same. I, and, I, I truly, truly have appreciated it. And I hope it's not our last conversation. Oh, I, you are welcome back anytime. And uh, I, ho I hope to be speaking with you again uh, soon for whatever the Lord has. Oh, I pray that he, he blesses this connection and who knows where it may go. We'll leave it in his very, very capable hands because it's better than our hands. That's for sure. <laughs> Amen. Well, may you and your family have a blessed Merry Christmas and an absolute blessed Happy New Year. And the same to you and yours as well. Many thank, blessings. Hey, thank you, Steve. You have a great day thank now. You. Take care. Okay, bye-bye now. Right.